This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Colossians chapter 1. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and so we pause to remember the 1.2 million Americans who've died while serving in the defense of our country. And I think it's appropriate that we do this, even as we're gathered here as the body of Christ, for the primary purpose of worshiping our God and Savior. I don't know about you, but as I reflect upon American history, my thoughts are always drawn to God. He, of course, is the author of history. And so when I think about America's story, I think about him. My thoughts go to the Lord. I think about our Christian heritage and how God has blessed us because of that heritage. And so I'm thankful to God. Again, my thoughts go to him. And when I think about those who've served in our country's armed forces, I'm thankful to God for raising them up. And when I think about the sacrifices made by so many of our veterans, I'm reminded of the ultimate sacrifice made by our Lord. You're in Colossians chapter 1. In a few minutes, we're going to notice a few truths from the passage that Pastor Brown read for us earlier in the service. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, help us now, please, as we reflect upon the greatest sacrifice ever made. And Lord, as we consider certain truths from your word, we pray that you would challenge our hearts, guide us into your truth. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 6th, 1944, 156,000 Allied soldiers landed on five beaches in Normandy, France, with the goal of retaking Fortress Europe from Hitler and the German war machine. Leading the assault in the very first wave on Omaha Beach were 34 men from the small rural town of Bedford, Virginia. Forming part of Company A of the 116th Regiment, 29th Division of the United States Army, these young men from Bedford were members of their local National Guard unit before they were shipped to England in the fall of 1942. Most of them had joined the National Guard before the war had started. They did so out of patriotism, so they could earn a little spending money, and so they could impress the local girls with their military uniforms. None of them imagined that they would ever fight in a world war overseas. But after Hitler invaded Western Europe, Company A was federalized and then mobilized 
and eventually transported to England to prepare for the invasion that everyone knew by that time would eventually occur. After a year and a half of training and waiting, Company A was ordered to spearhead what would be the greatest amphibious assault in world history. At 6.30 a.m. on D-Day, June 6, 1944, while their families back in Virginia slept safely, the Bedford boys disembarked from their landing craft and waded ashore under intense enemy machine gun fire. As it turns out, these young men went ashore at one of the deadliest points on the Normandy coast, what Allied planners had termed the dog green sector of Omaha Beach. Nineteen of the Bedford boys died within 15 minutes of the landing. Another three would be killed in the days that followed. Six weeks would pass before their families learned of their fate. Many of these boys had been farmers before the war. Others were employed in the local mills or in one of the local stores. By all accounts, they were polite, very kind young men and hard workers, eager to help their families and to one day raise families of their own. Let me introduce you to just a few of these young soldiers. Raymond Hoback was 24 years old when he was killed on D-Day. He had lived in Bedford all his life, as had all the others. Before shipping to England, he had worked full-time on his parents' farm, as well as in a local factory. He was described by one town resident as a quiet and devout young man. His Bible, bearing an inscription from his mother, was found on Omaha Beach on June 7th, the day after the landing, and it was eventually returned to his parents, who were also mourning the loss of his older brother, who was also a member of Company A, killed on D-Day. Earl Parker was one of the oldest of the Bedford boys. He was 30 in 1944. One of the few in the group who was married, he was the only one who had a child, a daughter, who was born after Earl had departed for England. Little Danny, as her mother called her, would never meet her dad. Earl was killed by a German mortar shell as he moved past the surf and up the sands of Omaha Beach. Frank Draper Jr. was 25 years old on D-Day. A star athlete while at Bedford High School, Draper worked at a local textile mill following graduation. He also played for the mill's baseball team and had the skills, many believed, to play in the major leagues. He was described as a happy, lucky young man who sang in the church choir and who never drank alcohol or smoked cigarettes. On D-Day, Draper was hit by an anti-tank round 
before he could even exit his landing craft, the shell nearly severing his left arm uh, from the rest of his body. He bled to death while he was being transported to a hospital ship in the channel. News of the death of 22 of Bedford's sons came by telegraph to the quiet little town on July 16th. Needless to say, their families were heartbroken. By all accounts, this small community was not the same for many, many years. Theirs, we would say, was an incredible sacrifice, which helped save Europe and the world from a cruel tyranny. Indeed, no town or community in America or in any allied nation lost as many sons on D-Day as did Bedford, Virginia. And as I consider these men, their heroism, their sacrifice, what they did, I'm reminded of an even greater sacrifice that won for us an even greater liberty from an even greater tyranny. You're in Colossians chapter 1 in your Bibles. We read verses 12 through 22 earlier. Let's look again at this passage and we'll notice first an even greater sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice of all. In verse 12, Paul encourages the Colossian believers to be thankful to the Father for the salvation, the inheritance that they possess as saints in light. Question, how was this inheritance secured? How was it attained? Well, let's look at the end of verse 13. There, Paul refers to our our benefactor. It's Jesus, God's dear son. It's in his kingdom that we have an inheritance. Moreover, Paul reminds his readers in verse 14, he he reminds us that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In other words, our inheritance, our redemption was purchased by the blood of Jesus, the lifeblood of the Son of God. Verse 20, if you want to look there, verse 20 also refers to the blood of his cross by which we are reconciled to God. And verse 22 reminds us that it was through the body of his flesh, through death, that we've been made holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. These verses speak of the greatest sacrifice ever made. Certainly the sacrifice of 22 American boys from Bedford, Virginia, was a monumental and precious sacrifice. These young men were obviously treasured by their families. But as great as their sacrifice was, as precious as it was in the heart's of a grateful town and nation, 
the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus was infinitely greater. Why? Well, let's let Scripture answer that question. Keep your place in Colossians chapter 1 and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, keep your place in Colossians 1. We'll be flipping back there in just a moment. But turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. First Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. There the scripture says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by, the tradition, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So why was the sacrifice of Christ of infinite worth and value? Well, Peter just told us it's because the blood of Jesus was of infinite worth and value. He was God. He is God. He is the spotless lamb without blemish, without sin, He was the perfect sacrifice because he is perfect God. The writer of Hebrews affirms this truth, stating that the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Again, our Lord Jesus is perfect God. And if you turn back to our text in Colossians 1, if you flip back to Colossians 1, that passage reminds us of the same truth. It tells us, beginning in verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence." For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. What does that last line mean, by the way? The end of verse 19. Well, Paul puts it this way in chapter 2 and verse 9 of this same epistle. There he says that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, Jesus is fully God in a human body. And because he is infinite God, his blood was infinitely precious. And therefore the sacrifice that he offered when he gave his blood for our sins was of infinite value. It was an even greater sacrifice. 
It was the greatest sacrifice of all. Second, Christ's even greater sacrifice won for us an even greater liberty. An even greater liberty. The boys who fought and died on D-Day won for America and the world a dramatic victory over their German enemies. Indeed, D-Day was the beginning of the end of the Nazi regime. By April 1945, yes, less than a year later, Germany was defeated. Europe had been liberated. Prisoners had been freed. And 250,000 prisoners of war, including many Jews, were liberated from Nazi death camps in April and May 1945. The world had been saved, although only in a physical and temporal sense. For this salvation was fleeting. It was not to last. Soon after the Allied victory, an iron curtain descended across the continent of Europe in the form of a communist tyranny led by Joseph Stalin. Today, that same empire, what Ronald Reagan termed the evil empire, threatens the Ukraine and other European nations. Far worse, of course, far worse is the sin that continues to enslave Europe, America, and the world. Indeed, in our own country, a nation founded upon Christian principles, we have witnessed a steep decline, greater and greater darkness, as the forces of secularism and humanism and godlessness threaten the very existence of our beloved United States. They claim to be marching for choice or civil liberties or freedom, but they're actually in bondage to sin. And the success of their agenda would result in the further erosion of true freedom in our country. And so again, while the Bedford boys and their fellow Americans, members of the greatest generation, While they heroically saved Europe and America, sadly, the liberty that they preserved for us was only physical, and it has proved to be fleeting. By contrast, the liberty that Christ offers to all of us is spiritual, and it's eternal. Let's look again at verse 12 in our text in Colossians 1. Verse 12, through Christ, God hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, through Christ, God has qualified us or authorized us to partake in the wonderful inheritance that he promises to all his children. Verse 13 says that God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You talk about liberty. You talk about deliverance. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you've been delivered 
from the power of darkness. And you have an, uh, an inheritance in God's eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will endure forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Verse 14 tells us that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, our guilt, has been erased. Verse 22 says that we've been made holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. In other words, we've been liberated from the chains of sin. We've been made righteous. We've been made holy because of Jesus. These verses are referring to the eternal and complete liberty that is offered through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our souls can be liberated. They can be set free because of his sacrifice. When I consider these truths and this uh, incredible freedom, I'm reminded of another passage from 1 Peter And uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. That passage reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The sacrifice that was offered by the boys of Bedford on June 6, 1944, was precious. It was precious and it helped secure the freedoms that Americans have enjoyed for the last 78 years. But the sacrifice of Christ on the cross has purchased for us a liberty that is eternal and is therefore of infinitely greater value. This liberty is greater not only because it will endure forever, but also the quality of this freedom is also greater. The liberty we enjoy in America now is incomplete at best, and it's continually eroding as the effects of sin tarnish everything. But for those of us who know Christ, we've been liberated from the chains of sin. We're now free to obey God, to glorify him, and to bask in the peace and joy that comes from a life surrendered to him. As John 8.36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Today, we don't have to live like most people in the world do, mired in sin and the problems, the heartaches, the depression that flow from a life dominated by by sin and self. We don't have to live that way, enslaved. Instead, we can possess the greatest liberty of all. 
Third, Christ's even greater sacrifice, which won for us an even greater liberty, also delivered us from an even greater tyranny. An even greater tyranny. The Bedford boys helped defeat a human dictator, Adolf Hitler, in his German war machine. The Nazis had occupied much of Europe. They had killed millions of Jews, Poles, and other Europeans. The tyranny that they had brought to Europe was real and deadly. But it's not comparable to the tyranny of sin, the tyranny of Satan, the tyranny of our own flesh that threatens to doom every human to eternity in the lake of fire. Verse 13 says that Christians have been delivered from the power of darkness. Consider that for a moment. We were once enslaved prisoners in the darkness. In another place, the Bible says this, that we were once dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Those who don't know Christ are enslaved, blinded by Satan. Their minds are darkened, the Bible says. And eternal darkness awaits them. Hitler was a tyrant. He killed many, including non-combatants. He imprisoned millions who faced execution in his death camps across Europe. And yet enslavement to sin is far worse. The tyranny of sin not only brings physical death, but spiritual death forever in the darkness and isolation of hell. By the early 1940s, just about everyone recognized the danger that Hitler posed. At that point, it was unmistakable. Even those who'd earlier tried to appease him recognized their error and the tyranny that he threatened to impose over Europe. But the world today does not appreciate the tyranny of sin. They are blind to its destructiveness and to their own peril. Instead, they flaunt and celebrate their sin. They don't realize that sin is a tyrant that will ultimately bring eternal misery, eternal depression, eternal damnation, unless they are liberated. Christians, too, sometimes fail to appreciate the dangers of sin. We don't see sometimes how it ruins lives and families, how it brings only problems and heartache. 
We don't think much of a little greed, a little dishonesty, a little bit of worldliness. Certain Christians have repeatedly allowed sin into their lives only to become enslaved, falling into bondage and misery. Believers must understand that Christ has delivered us not only from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin as well. As Christians, we can enjoy liberty and peace and joy through Christ. Unbelievers must realize that they can have this wonderful peace and joy. They can have it too. But first, they need to be liberated from the tyranny of sin. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way. Man can only be saved through him. And so what about you today? As we consider the even greater sacrifice offered by Christ, I want to appeal to anyone who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Come to him today. Recognize that his perfect sacrifice is the only sacrifice that can save you from your sins. Turn to him and trust in him today. And then as we consider the even greater liberty that we can enjoy because of Christ's death on our behalf, let me encourage believers here to give thanks to God. Thank God that you've been rescued, that you've been liberated, that you've been set free. Thank God that you can enjoy the peace and victory that comes from knowing him and having your sins forgiven. And then finally, as we consider the even greater tyranny that is sin, let's not be deceived or enslaved or destroyed. Let's turn from this dark tyranny by the power of God. If you're an unbeliever, you need to call upon God for salvation. If you're a believer and you've fallen into sin, you need to recognize the danger and ask God to deliver you. September 16, 1944, would have been Frank Draper Jr.'s 26th birthday. On that day, some three months after D-Day, Frank's mother wrote a eulogy to her son, which was published in Bedford's local newspaper. In part, Frank's mother described her son as a tired, homesick soldier boy who attended church in Bedford all his life. She went on to write that he was not buried in a nice casket with flowers and a funeral procession. Instead, she wrote, his dear body was laid to rest in a blood-soaked uniform. Maybe it was draped in an American flag. There will be no more wars where you have gone, dear Frank. The old rugged cross has a twofold meaning for me now. For my own dear boy shed his precious blood 
like Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. This morning, and on this Memorial Day weekend, I suggest that we, like Mrs. Draper, allow our hearts to be drawn to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even as we remember and honor those who died for our country, let's not forget the greatest sacrifice of all, which won for us the greatest liberty of all, from the greatest tyranny of all. Let's pray together. Father, it's easy for us sometimes to to be touched by the stories of these young men. We can see their photographs. The history is, is recent. Our hearts ache for their families. And Lord, it's appropriate for us to remember and honor them and to pray for their family members who may still live. But Lord, let us never forget the greatest sacrifice of all. Even though we don't have photographs of Calvary, Lord, let our hearts be touched as we consider your great love for us and Christ's willingness to suffer and die in our place. Help us to be so thankful, Lord. And if there's anyone here this morning who's not been liberated, may they come to Christ today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.